0: So first reading is from Jeremiah chapter 9, starting at verse 17. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider now, call for the wailing women to come. Send for the most skillful of them. Let them come quickly and wail over us, till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. The sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How ruined we are. How great is our shame. We must leave our land because our houses are in ruins. Now, you women, hear the word of the Lord. Open your ears to the words of his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail. Teach one another a lament. Death has climbed in through our windows and has entered our fortresses. It has removed the children from the streets and the young men from the public squares. Say, this is what the Lord declares. Dead bodies will lie like dung on the open field, like cut corn behind the reaper, with no one to gather them. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. And the second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. By the humility and gentleness of Christ I appeal to you I Paul who am timid when face to face with you but bold towards you when away I beg that you I beg you that when I come I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world For though we live in this world we do not wage war as the world does The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends.
1: Thank you Hannah. Welcome folks. Great to have you along today. Uh, If you're new or visiting, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here and it's especially uh, great to have you. It's been an excellent good week as we've welcomed Dave and Emily, not just to Wagga, but Dave to our staff team and Mitch also who started along. It's been a super good week, exciting stuff happening um, and it's always good now to come to God's word as God's family, to sit under it, to understand it, that we might apply it to our lives. So how about we start like we do every week and let's pray. Let's pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we do ask that as we open your word, that you'd help us by your spirit. And in fact, we pray as Paul prays in the, in Psalm 19, that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts might be now and always pleasing in your sight. You, our Lord and our rock and our redeemer. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to start with, well what's a very key idea here or a repeated theme throughout this chapter that we're looking at in 2 Corinthians today, 2 Corinthians 10, it's just the idea of boasting. Now boasting is one of those things that we all desperately hate and yet we all desperately do, don't we? It's true isn't it? We all find ourselves in this space sometimes. In fact, there's a particular thing about boasting in Aussie culture that I want to sort of make uh, known to you. Justin, my little clicker doesn't seem to be all, uh, working, so would you click the first one up for me there? We've got this thing about boasting in Aussie culture. What do we do when we see someone who's sort of pushing their poppy a little higher than the rest? You know what happens. In fact, just as much as cricket is a national sport, tall poppy syndrome and chopping and poppies off... That's another national sport in Australian culture. We don't like boasting, not around us anyways. But you see, boasting happens in so many different ways. There's such thing as the humble brag. It's an oxymoron, isn't it? You've heard of the humble brag? This is the one where we find ourselves, and if you're savvy and honest, you'll find yourself tripping up in this, in this, uh, in this area. It's the sneaky type boasts about your connections, you know, the name drop. Yes, yeah, so I was chatting to Chris Hemworth the other day. Oh, Chris. Yeah, Chris and I, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. the, 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 the light touch, it's the name drop, or it's the casual flash of cash. You know, you've got a money clip with the big bills on the outside, you know. <laughs> They're all hundreds all the way through. No, perish the thought. Or the designer labels on the, on the clothes, or the casual conversation about, yeah, it was my first million that was the hardest when I think about it. You work a 40-hour week? Yeah, I remember. That's cute. I remember when I had a part-time job. You know, that sort of idea. Or it's the posting of awards on social media, sort of heralding us uh, as, as uh, the, our magnificence. Yeah, oh God, the employee of the month again. Oh, can't they be more original? You know, it's this humble type bragging. You know what I'm talking about? But the difficulty about boasting and bragging is that there are actually socially acceptable, sometimes even expected forms of boastings. For example, it is right to celebrate and acknowledge achievements. It is right to acknowledge, acknowledge and celebrate that. In fact, I insist upon it in one aspect alone. It's when I go to the doctor's surgery. I want to see a framed copy of a degree on the wall. I don't want to be checking if they've got web feet every time I go to a doctor's surgery. I'm not interested in seeing any quacks. I want credentials. See, this topic of boasting is actually quite complicated. And it's an issue in Corinth as much as it was, is today. See, Corinth itself is a pretty flashy, important, cosmopolitan port city of significant. Lots to boast in, looking to be impressed by the impressive, and it appears that they had been. So over the next few weeks, we're going to hone in on this issue of boasting, because Paul will spend a few chapters talking about it. Early in the series, I had a sermon titled, um, The Basis for Boldness, And in a similar style then, and because of my love for alliteration, the next couple of weeks are going to be the basis for boasting. And the basic question I want us to be thinking through is, is it ever right to boast as Christians? If so, where or in what is it appropriate to boast? And where is it or in what is it inappropriate to boast? And let me give you a spoiler alert from the very beginning, like the concept of sorrow in uh, in chapter 7, This issue of boasting in Paul, well, Paul will talk about it in uh, boasting in chapter 10, pointing out that there's two types of boasting, one worldly, one godly. And just as with this sorrow in chapter 7, the two states are starkly different in terms of they lead to very different results. Do you remember chapter 7? Russ preached it for us a couple of weeks back. Worldly sorrow, that is just feeling that naked sense of guilt or remorse or regret and nothing more. Paul said that leads to death. But godly sorrow, that which produces repentance of desperate trust in Christ and his grace to you, this desperate dependence that motivates genuine change, this is the mark of life and salvation. The two could not be further apart. Worldly sorrow, godly sorrow. And I think it's the same can be said for boasting. That is, taking pride in and trusting or focusing on the wrong places to boast will lead to death and judgment whereas taking pride in trusting, focusing on the right and the exclusive place to boast is actually a marker of God's favor to you, a marker of your praise of him. It's a marker of a proper recognition of the salvation that he's gifted you. Actually, it's a marker of genuine Christianity, genuine maturity as a Christian. So there's two things, uh, three things I want to do, there's three really reasonably simple things. It's on your outlines today. I want to sort of unpack the passage and have a look what is the basis for boasting according to the world's assessment which the corinthians seem to have been seduced by as paul writes to them that's the first thing we're going to do the second thing we're going to do is look at the basis of boasting according to paul paul's slash god's assessment they are one and the same here paul writing under the inspiration of the of god's spirit writes god's word And at the same time, as we're doing those two things, we're going to weave through some practical implications and applications for us here as well. So by all means, if you haven't got an outline, go and grab one. If you want to take some notes, there should be some pens up the back as well. Let's have a look here. What is the basis for boasting in Corinth in Paul's day? What are the socially acceptable forms of boasting that are actually valued in that society and culture? You know, we don't have to guess. We can see it there from the very first opening verse. We get a bit of an inkling, can't we? The first thing is it's a sense of power and authority or, let me say it another way, physical impressiveness. Look at it with me there in chapter 10 verses 1 and 2. Read it with me. Paul starts by saying, By the humility and gentleness of Christ I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away." I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. Now, do you hear what Paul's saying there? He's addressing immediately, he's addressing his apparent attitude held by some in Corinth about him. This attitude goes something like this. That poor fellow, oh, he's big and tough and bold in his letters, but he's a mouse in reality. He's a sook. He's a wuss. He's not tough. He's not impressive at all. Actually, Paul quotes similar sentiments, if you like, or similar statement in verse 10. There he says, For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. This is the attitude of the Corinthians, or their, their movement towards uh, their attitude of Paul, is like this. He's a mouse, not a man. He's unimpressive. There's two related problems here as Paul points out. First, in verse 7, he says they are judging by appearances. It's the old book by its cover routine. We all know that doesn't work. But second, the reason they do this is because they are living by, look at the end of verse 2 again, they're living by the standards of the world. And they're not just living according to this personally, they're assessing or judging Paul by these standards. And top of the list seems to be appearance, physical presence, impressiveness. Now I want to stop and ask us, is it much different in our culture? How big a role do appearances play in setting the world standard of impressiveness and authority and praiseworthiness, in other words, a basis for boasting? I think heaps. I think it's why we've got phrases like, you've got a face for radio. Do you ever notice this? There's no ugly TV presenters. You've got a face for radio. <laughs> in fact, there were studies done in terms of pretty people and the way that they are actually, um, there's some advantages to being attractive according to a, a cultural standard in job interviews. Appearance matters, it seems. I actually saw another study, I was desperately racking my brain to try to find out where, I, where this was where there was a study done of uh, presidential or prime ministerial candidates from different elections around the world, just the pictures, just the profile pictures of these people given to a bunch of randoms down the street. and They said, who do you think become the prime minister or the president? And you know, it was with staggering accuracy that people were able to go, that chap there, that woman there. And it's not because they're all physically attractive in the terms of beauty, but there is clearly something in their appearance, something that seems to suggest impressiveness or convey authority, something that people seem to find more attractive in this sense, in the terms of leadership suitability. And it's by this same standard then of impressiveness or lack thereof Has turned some in Corinth away from Paul and tried to erode then the legitimacy of his teaching among them. He's just not that flashy in person. Why should we listen to him? But I also want you to notice Paul is not playing their game. He's got no intention of falling into the same trap by suddenly trying to prop up or point out his impressiveness to win them back. Did you notice that in the text? No way. And it's because Paul has realized and come to realize a different lens through which to actually access impressiveness and power and authority. Not to access it, but to assess it rather. And it's antithetical to the world's standard, both then and now. Look again at how Paul states this in the chapter. He doesn't start this chapter with threats or posturing or flexing his apostolic authority. No, no, look at it in verse 1 again. How does he start? By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. How different is that from trying to seem impressive and bold and brash? Jesus is Paul's model and example. Jesus, who had all authority and power as God in the flesh, and yet he was routinely described as meek in the scriptures. But don't confuse meekness with weakness really big problem when you do that there is a massive difference in fact in fact the best way i think to describe this it's kind of like the original concept of the gentleman do you know where that term comes from in the middle ages a gentleman was not just someone who had impeccable manners and a polite disposition it was a man who was given the right to carry a sword The right to bear arms. That is a man who was capable of exerting great physical power and force, but also who had the wisdom to know when to use it and when not to use it. Not a bully, a gentleman. That's meekness. This is meekness. Jesus is the quintessential gentleman capable of all power and authority, but using that in perfect measure with perfect wisdom, which does not mean not using it at all. Mark my words, Christ is coming back in judgment and he's got a sword-shaped tongue. It's frightening stuff. You read Revelation 20 and 21, man, he is not a namby-pamby God. But I want to say, Paul, and I want to look particularly men here today, this ought be our model. This ought be our example Capable of great force and power, but Christ-like in in applying it. This is Paul's aim. Because did you notice, in fact, what I find really fascinating about this here is that Paul doesn't deny that he possesses some clout and authority as an apostle. He just begs with them that he won't have to use it in verse 2. Read it again. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people. In fact, he says a very similar thing in verse 9. What does he say in verse 9? He says, I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. He doesn't want boldness to be the thing that impresses them or turns their affection toward him because often it doesn't. Instead, he appeals to them in meekness, in Christ-likeness, according to truth. Now, I want to stop and ask us each individually here, is that your MO? Is that your modus operandi? Is that how you operate? Is this your model and standard for for, uh, Christ-like humility and gentleness? When you find yourself either in a position of authority or influence, whether it be at home with your family, mums and dads, whether it be among your friends socially, or at work, or at school, whether you're answering to or having others answer to you, are you known for meekness? Or have you bought into the power plays of our culture? seeking to make yourself seem more important or better connected or more intelligent or just generally more impressive in the eyes of others? It's an honest question to ask, isn't it? It's a question worth pondering. The difficulty of the question is one that's very difficult to self-diagnose. What do you do with that? Well, it's worth asking a trusted friend. How am I going in humility? Or better still... Assuming that there's areas to improve on, in what areas of my life do you think I could grow in humility? Or in what areas of my life do you perceive that my life or my thir- thoughts or my actions or my words are still worldly? Would you Would you help me think through that? See, they're dangerous questions because someone might actually answer them. <laughs> and it takes great humility not just to ask the question. Don't give yourself a pat on the back because you uttered that phrase takes great humility to stick around for the answer. Will you do that? I want to encourage us all to do it because we ought not want to fall into the same trap of worldly thinking here, boasting or bragging in worldly impressiveness. But there's an alternative, folks. There's an alternative to the world standard of the basis for boasting Better options that we have over and against outward appearance or impressiveness or popularity. In fact, did you notice Paul's contention here? Did you notice his line? It's in seeking the truth and finding the truth and holding out and holding on to the truth in Christ. In fact, look at where we see this here. Look again with me from chapter 10, verse 3. Read with me a little bit here. It says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every presentation that sets it, sorry every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now you got to get this. Paul is saying, don't be impressed by that which the world deems impressive. Be impressed by the truth. In fact, you'll see a similar sort of thing in, in verse 12. Did you notice it there? It's a funny sort of verse where he says, talking of others, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. In other words, anyone can measure themselves against themselves and decide they look good. I look fantastic compared to me. It's not wisdom. But Paul is seeking truth and substance, not froth and bubble. Paul is keen on the truth. And all truth is God's truth, and therefore God's word is the only power or weapon that Paul needed either to defend himself or advance God's kingdom. All truth is God's truth, so wherever Paul found a truism, regardless of who uttered it, it belonged to God. It belongs to God. In fact, I think this is what he means when he says, that he took every thought captive and made obedient to Christ. It's because all truth is God's truth, and therefore all truth is obedient to Christ. Now, that's a funny sort of a phrase. I want to try to flesh that out with some practical examples. See if you can sort of pick up on what I'm putting down here. Let me pick up on a couple of uh, modern sort of uh, expressions of truth telling. Uh, in, in a Muslim background or a Muslim faith, Muslims focus on the, the, uh, one of their five pillars of faith, uh, almsgiving, given to the poor. Are you aware of this? That's not Islamic truth. The notion of generosity, of looking after those who are less for, fortunate than you, is right and true because it's God's intention. We saw the same thing last, in the last two chapters of Corinthians. We did it last week. So how do we take this thought captive and make obedient to Christ, as Paul puts it? Well, it's by not allowing it to be pushed or beyond God-given boundaries. That is, it is right to acknowledge that generosity is right and true, but it never makes a person fit for or worthy of salvation, no matter how generous they are. Do you see the problem here in the Islamic thinking? This is one of the markers, the five pillars of faith of which you'll be judged. You are generous enough that will work well for you. See, this is where Islam has skewed God's truth. We need to keep the truth and make it obedient to Christ. Let me give you another example. Environmentalists' concern for the environment. That's not green truth. That's God's truth. It accords with God's word. And taking it captive and, it captive and making it obedient to Jesus is not to allow it to be pushed beyond its God-given boundaries. How do we do this? By recognizing from God's word, humanity has dominion and responsibility to steward the environment well. But that never means flattening out the distinction between humanity and animals or humanity and the rest of creation and pretend that there isn't a taxonomy or a a priority order here. It means recognizing that humanity alone is made in the image of God. That's uber significant. And therefore, proper conservation and care for the environment must include the especial care for humans within that environment. It's not a political statement, as much as it is an attempt to understand environmental uh, environmentalism and make it obedient to Jesus. Are you sort of tracking with this? You can do this everywhere. I mean, I did this last night with my one of my children. Fear of the dark. <laughs> I was thinking of this. As she was. Uh, I can't say she. Okay, I can say she. Still one of three. You can try to guess. Go your hardest. <coughs> If I don't give permission and I use someone's name, I owe them $5. So let me be very careful. Someone who shall remain nameless was fearful of the dark last night. And I said to her, is fear a good emotion? 100% fear is a good emotion. I want you to be scared when you see a brown snake rattling over your, over your toes. Yeah, Fear is a good emotion. How do you take it captive to Christ? In this sense, what I said to she who shall remain nameless... What is there to be scared of in the dark? What does, what does God's word tell you about who Jesus never leaves you? Nothing will happen to you beyond what he has deemed worthy and right and good for you. Can you trust him in the dark? Can you trust him with fear 100%? Take that thought captive to Christ. Make it obedient. Make fear obedient to Christ. I could do it with Buddhism and desire. Yes, it's right. Desire is a problem. Getting rid of desire for the wrong things is right, but desiring nothing? No, beyond the bounds. Psalm 73, whom do I have in heaven but you? The world has nothing I desire but you. My flesh and my heart may fail me, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Don't get rid of desire, desire the right things. you see what I'm saying here? You see what I'm saying here? Take every thought and what is true, it is God's truth, make it obedient to Christ. How, how important is this to understand and apply in our world today? Because where does our world seek to establish truth? And how does it fight against people who disagree with this truth? I mean, by and large, many areas of life, feelings and lived experiences and personal truths seem to be carrying the day. And if you disagree or point out the obvious flaws and inconsistency with this logic... You'll face the prospect of being held down as a monster or a Philistine, likely cancelled if possible, at least deep friended. But we're not to wage war as the war does as the world does. Rather like Paul, seek the truth and pursue it through Christ. Personal application time. Again, is this you? Are you seeking and applying the truth, not my truth, to your life? Are you prepared and willing and able to defend and advance God's kingdom based on the truth, to demolish arguments and all that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ? It won't be popular in the world's assessment. It won't seem impressive in the world's eyes. It will be mocked and ridiculed by the world's standard of wisdom, but it is the only proper basis for boasting because it's not actually about you at all. See, here's the magnificence of this. Here's the key difference between the basis for boasting by the world standard and by God's standard. Worldly boasting is all about the elevation of the individual, godly boasting is all about the individual elevating God, about realizing and relishing in the truth that he has revealed to you in Christ. If he has revealed himself to you in Christ, that is magnificent and it's actually good for others to hear that because it's the truth that will likewise lead them to salvation. Now look at where else we see this. In fact, just come with me to the end of the chapter. Look at verses sort of 13 onwards a little bit there. Let me read a chunk. Verse 13, this is what he says. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits. We will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but... Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do you hear Paul's contention here again? This is the basis for boasting in the Christian life. But it's not without limits. It's confined to the realm of boasting in Christ. That is, in sharing the gospel to tell those who haven't heard or understood the greatness of God through Jesus. In this way, Christian boasting makes nothing of me and everything of Christ. Paul did not come to preach himself to the Corinthians. he came to preach Christ and him crucified. He said, I come to know nothing else among them, but Christ and him crucified. This is what Paul means in verse 17 when he says that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, which is a clear reference to to boasting in and through Jesus. But interesting to notice, in fact, maybe your Bible Bible has a footnote here. Have a look. Does your Bible have a footnote there at verse 17? Hopefully it does to let you know that Paul is actually quoting the prophet Jeremiah here. We heard this section read out earlier by uh, Hannah. In fact, turn there now or look up on the screen. It should come up there. to sorry. Two super interesting and instructive things to notice, and I'll finish on these. Look at Jeremiah 9.23. First notice how humanity or how little humanity has changed from Jeremiah's day to Paul's day to our day in terms of where the world places the basis for boasting. What does it say there? This is what the Lord says let not the wise boast in their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. (laughs) How many thousands of years ago is that written and how much could it be written yesterday? Wisdom, strength, riches, could this not be written today? But what's the godly alternative? Both in Jeremiah's day, in Paul's day and in ours also, verse 24, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. That I am, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares Yahweh. See, this is what is doubly interesting and instructive about this point. It's that when Jeremiah wrote this initially, he didn't use the generic word for God in Hebrew. He didn't use the word Lord, he uses the personal name of God, Yahweh. Capital L-O-R-D in English translation. Every time you see that, it is Yahweh is the, is the best expression of the Hebrew word behind it. It's actually the, God, the name that God gives to Moses, his personal name that we learned about in Exodus a little while ago. And why is it so significant here? Because when Paul is echoing Jeremiah in 2 Corinthians, who is he referring to? Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. He's still referring to God. He's still referring to Yahweh. And yet he's making an explicit link, unambiguous reference to Jesus, who is the same great I am, who is Yahweh become flesh. Knowing him, being known by him, and making him known. This is the only proper basis for boasting for the Christian. It's got nothing to do with me. Magnificent. Final question to ponder. It's on your outline. Two questions, really. I snuck them into one line. I'm always sneaky like that. Can you personally boast in the Lord? By that I mean, has God made himself known to you by his spirit, through his word, so that you recognize you have nothing else to boast in, but only that which Christ has done for you. And if not, then what is the next step in seeking that reality? Let me say keep coming to church. Come to Jesus seriously in 27, uh, sorry, 26, 27th of February starts. Keep reading your bible, keep reading God's word, keep humbly asking that God would give you his spirit to illumine his truth there within. And if you're already a Christian today, do you boast in the Lord? Are you prepared, willing and seeking to share the gospel with others to boast in what Christ has already done for you to his glory? And what difference would it make to your week this week, uh, this week if you did? How would that change your outlook? How would it change your conversation, your actions, your interactions? To boast in the Lord. Look, we're going to make more of this basis for boasting next week because Paul's not finished on the topic yet. In fact, he's got another colossal cultural clangor to throw down in chapter 11. So make sure you're with us. But right now, let me lead us in prayer before we sing again. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us for boasting in all the wrong places, that you forgive us for adopting a worldly standard of impressiveness, of trusting in power and prestige, of wisdom or riches, And Father, wherever necessary, would you strip those things away from us so that we would all know what it means to boast in the Lord alone and to be completely satisfied in him and eager to share this boast with others. We pray it for our good and we pray it for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.